Today we are in the last section of Philippians 4, our last day in this great letter. Philippians 4, beginning at verse 10, going to the end of the chapter, and I will read that in just a moment. I was talking with a friend about the passage this week. Uh, the subject is money, and they said, oh, oh, that seems like an awkward topic. When I asked them why, they said, well, people don't really like talking about money. It's just such a tricky subject to navigate. Now, is this true? I know plenty of people who talk about money all the time. How much they make, how much they have, how much they wish they had more, what they bought and how much it costs, how much other people make or their opinions about what other people do with their money and of course what they would do if they won the lottery. We know what we value when we talk about money and we also show the strata of our class. But I also think that my friend is right, that most of us don't necessarily like talking about money and I'm wondering why this is. What is it about us that doesn't like talking about it? One article I read from The Atlantic this week said that one thing Americans love to talk about is how much Americans hate to talk about money. Huh. Now in recent surveys from financial and market research firms, they estimated that 30 to 40% of couples, in 30 to 40% of couples, one or both partners couldn't correctly identify how much the other makes. Yet fighting about money is rampant in marriages. In addition, many wealthy families rarely tell their children how much money they make. And they also found that people are more comfortable talking with their friends about marital strife, mental health, addiction, race, sex, and politics than money. So let that sink in for a second. In a greatly divided nation, we would rather talk about politics than money. That tells us something. Let's get some expert opinions. Therapist Deborah Kaplan writes that people don't talk about money because it's perceived as socially disrespectful. Sociologist Rachel Sherman says that people often feel bad about how much money they don't have. So not talking about it makes that feeling of badness go away. Psychology professor John Vincent says that there's a lot of discomfort about money and it comes because we're afraid that people are going to judge us for being lazy or stupid or bad money managers. Also, because there's such a divide in this country across racial and social and gender lines about money, conversations about it can be taboo because of the inequality surrounding it. Now, it's, as Christians, it's imperative that we resist the entrenched stereotypes and insecurities and consumptions that we have learned. We need to be mindful that money is a tool given by the Lord in order that we would be grateful stewards and generous givers, which is what Paul is expressing in our passage today. He's not afraid to talk about money at all. And he's modeling for the church to be thankful for what we have been given and to manage God's provision so that we can gladly share it with others. 
These are wonderful last thoughts from Paul in this letter to a church he loves. So Philippians 4, beginning with verse 10 from the NRSV. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have received your concern for me, revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I am referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In any case, it was kind of you to share my distress. You Philippians indeed know that in the early days of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs more than once. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that accumulates to your account. I have been paid in full and have more than enough. I am fully satisfied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God the Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The friends who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of the emperor's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Let us pray. Lord, as I speak, may you speak and may you be glorified. Amen. Today we're going to look at two lessons from Paul about finances. The first is about contentment and the second is about giving. How Paul frames this conversation is useful as he allows the church to see his heart about a valuable topic for all time. Although there are always cultural and contextual issues surrounding a passage, the lessons we can glean are fairly simple and clear for us today. We're going to focus first on verses 10 through 14 where Paul is talking about contentment. What we might notice first is how Paul is attempting to honor the Philippians. He has been talking with them about rejoicing in all things and here he is showing them what that looks like and they are the subject of his rejoicing. It's obvious that he is thanking them while also wanting to communicate some significant truths. The word he uses for content here is autarkies, which means entirely self-sufficient. It's not a biblical word, rather it has roots in Stoicism. The philo philosophical worldview focused on self-control, personal ethics, virtue, and aligning oneself with nature. A goal of the Stoics was to be independent of all things and all people. In their worldview, relying solely on oneself was the most valuable attribute of a wise person. Socrates was once asked, who was the wealthiest man? And he said, he who is content with least. For autarkia, self-sufficiency, is nature's wealth. So it's interesting 
that Paul uses this word when talking about contentment. He uses it and then he turns it around to the faith, writing what will become one of the most beloved verses of all time. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Where the Stoic would attempt to achieve contentment by sheer will, relying on themselves alone, Paul is telling us that the follower of Jesus will surrender because God gives us what is necessary to persevere. Don't miss that one of our favorite verses is tied into contentment. While we may use this line, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, to inspire ourselves that Jesus can move mountains for us through prayer or we can get through anything, this phrase is definitely attached to the idea of learning to be satisfied no matter what we have. We can do all things, Paul says. We can live in any experience imaginable because Jesus is with us and strengthens us to do so. So our prayer might be, Lord, fortify us. Be enough for us when we are not content with what you have given. Help us, Lord, to be thankful in you no matter what. Paul has learned, he says, to be content. Being satisfied with what one has is something we have to learn. It doesn't come natural. We're not born that way. Left to ourselves, our most natural tendency is to have more. We're always striving for something more until we choose to allow Christ to show us what scripture says, which is contentment with godliness is great gain. Our world doesn't run this way though. We are trained to want more or to want better than what we have. There's a hunger in us and sometimes it's insatiable to get what we see, what we think will satisfy us or make us look smart or rich or attractive. Sometimes we may see in our minds what we might want to project to the best to the world. What is our best image we want to project to the world? This is classic teenage thinking. If we have those shoes or that car or that electronic device, everyone will think that we are the coolest. And I'm unsure that that ever truly goes away. When we think of something that we just had to have and we got it, did it fulfill all of our longings? Or did it make us want the next best thing? Sometimes we're not happy with what we have and so then we strive to get the next thing that we don't have. Paul is thankful for their gift. He takes time to acknowledge their concern and their kindness for him when he was in distress. It's always vital for us to tell someone thank you when they do something nice for us, when they contribute to our well-being in some way. Notice how Paul words it though. While he is grateful, he communicates to them that he's not expecting any more. 
he graciously receives what they have shared with him. Let's think about what a content life might look like. It could look like healthy relationships where we're not causing drama to get more attention. It might look like having peace of mind and not obsessing about what we don't own. It could look like sounding positive about our lives, grateful that we have a glass regardless of how full, half full or half empty it is. It might be taking pleasure in the simple things. Certainly it's choosing to be grateful instead of grumbling about what's not perfect. Being content is tied, Paul says, to our relationship with Christ, our God. Jesus wants to be more than enough for all of our needs. Listen to this quote I found this week. Paul's sense of contentment does not arise out of personal resources, but comes from the one who strengthens him. Paul's contentment doesn't come from personal resources. His contentment comes from the Lord who gives him strength no matter what. Paul is thankful to the Philippian church for their support of him, but he knows that whether he has little or plenty, all he has is because of what God has decided to give him. Is this an attitude we can own ourselves? The secret Paul learned is to receive what God gives, no matter how little or how much or where it comes from. He is appreciative for the gift from the Macedonian church, yet their action did not ease his circumstances. God did. Through the church, in this case, yes, but God would have used another avenue had the church not stepped up. Paul, being able to navigate the hardships of his life and to find contentment in all things, is only because the Lord is his strength. Upon reflection, Paul's words are surprisingly pointed. We live in one of the most affluent regions of a very rich nation, yet we can be fearful about not having enough. How content are we? Not just with what we have now, but what it is that we think God will provide in the future. This passage confronts our self-centered beliefs about how much is enough as we read a letter from a man in prison whose gift from a modest church touched him greatly. What does the Lord say to us about what it takes to keep us fulfilled? May God be our strength in all things, especially, especially in the discipline to be content. The other lesson in verses 15 through 20 is about giving. For an unknown reason, the Philippian church is the only one that has given to Paul. Was it because the other churches didn't want to give or was it because Paul didn't want to accept it? We know from some of his other letters that he's careful about receiving financial help from other churches that he founded in case anyone questions his motivation for preaching. See how tricky money is? We need to have integrity with how we deal with it since it is a huge temptation 
that has been the downfall of many in the faith. We see the special relationship that Paul and the Philippians share that they have built over years of mutual trust and care for one another. Paul taught how to receive and now he teaches what it means to generously give. He affirms them for supporting him when no one else would. It makes us think, how is it that we decide what to donate? Who do we donate to? How much do we give? The Philippians saw the value of what Paul was doing because they had benefited firsthand from his ministry to them. Look at what Paul says. Not that I seek the gift, he says, but I seek the profit that accumulates in your account. While Paul has profited from the gift, he is pointing out the gain that they will receive for their generosity. His concern is for them. He first uses business language and then he switches to Old Testament imagery of their offering being a sacrifice pleasing to the Lord. And Paul says, because of their contribution, God will fully, fully satisfy every need they have according to the riches in Christ Jesus. Another well-known verse that we should talk about for a second. I have to tell you how many people talk to me about the prosperity gospel, the belief that financial blessing is always the will of God for those who obey him. And while I have no doubt that those who espouse this believe in the Lord just as much as I do, I find little biblical basis for it. Even verse 19 that we just talked about, about God satisfying every need through the riches in Christ Jesus, should be read alongside verse 13, which we just talked about, where God supplies our need with the strength of Christ in every circumstance. If we give to the Lord because we expect financial gain in return, we have built a scheme that God does not play by. God is sovereign. He's not manipulated by our wants. He answers as he will. And we look to him as good in all circumstances, regardless of what we have. The prosperity gospel works well in America because of our individualism and our capitalism. But equating the Christian faith with material success, telling believers that God wants us to be rich, and looking for outward signs of God's favor is antithetical to the biblical understanding of the good news of the gospel. It keeps us tied to works righteousness and our focus on having wealth. Money becomes an idol. It's also a terrible way to explain why some people are rich and some are poor. One early prosperity gospel preacher, Russell Cornwall, told his highly destitute, very poor congregation in 1915, he told them this, I say, you ought to be rich. You have no right to be poor. His blame on the people he was talking to ignored so many other reasons why poverty exists in the world. This got me thinking about how people get mad because in their opinion, all churches do is talk about money. Now, while this has truth to it, it's also true from this passage we see that 
there's a model of supporting those who are doing God's work. We give to the Lord to provide the means for ministry to others. And it occurs to me that people may get angry when they hear the message that money is more important to the church than they are to the church. When a body communicates about money in such a way that their budget or their work takes precedence over the people who are giving, that's a problem. The anger that people express is actually hurt at feeling used, at feeling not valued, at not truly being cared for because the money is more important. An emphasis in getting ahead financially is not the way of Jesus, who taught a lot about the danger of money and the gift of simplicity. Jesus knew the lure that comes from wealth, the greed which can consume us, and teaches us to stay clear of it, even as it beckons us closer. He who owns everything came to live in relative poverty and obscurity. Jesus' heart is with the poor, and there is nothing in his life on earth or that he taught or that he modeled that urges us to seek more wealth. Paul is affirming how the church gave out of their love for the Lord, who is pleased with their offering. In verse 19, Paul is saying that just as God used the Philippians to meet his own needs, God will provide for their needs because God is faithful. Those who know that everything belongs to God, that everything we have comes from his hand, can trust him with how they contribute to the kingdom. The motivation for giving shouldn't come out, should come out of a desire to glorify the Lord and bless others. Our offerings show what we believe about God and what it is that we value in the world. Let's take a moment and reflect on our patterns with money. What we see in this passage is that both Paul and the Philippians show a healthy relationship with money. Paul is grateful, yet careful to not be dependent, while also staying clear of impropriety he finds true commitment from Jesus, who fortifies him to live in plenty and in need, as both circumstances offer temptations and difficulties. The Philippians are willing to give because they are concerned about Paul's suffering. They share to make up for his lack of funds because they trust in the Lord and what the Lord is doing through Paul's ministry as they themselves have been recipients of this amazing life that Paul has invited them to know through Christ. Neither is allowing money to control them or affect how it is that they serve Jesus. So let's take a moment in prayer inviting Jesus to speak to us about this topic where he definitely has guidance for us. He wants to talk to us about everything. Nothing is off limits. And it would be helpful for us to talk about money in our community, in our small groups with people that we trust. Very healthy 
so that we might be able to move past any unhealthy patterns that we have. May we find our commitment in God and may our generosity to others mirror how gracious he has been to us. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.